Today on the podcast, Chris Heron, 30 for 30 Unguarded. It's inspiring to me the life that you can live for mistakes that you've made that you can overcome. We'll get Chris on the line. Here's a taste of Unguarded. And at the time, there was times when I would come into the arena playing against Texas or UMass, you know, 12 o'clock noon, and I'd be in a car with two girls that I had no idea their names and I hadn't slept yet, and I'm doing my last line of cocaine as I'm walking into the arena. And, and I hadn't ate anything, I haven't done anything, and the last thing I drank was a Budweiser. My junior season, UMass was coming back for revenge at Fresno. I was out the whole night before. He called me at like 7.30 in the morning, and I know it was high as a kite, and I'm like, you got a game on national television, man, against UMass. Chris had a sensational game, and our arena was rocking. Big victory here for the Bulldogs tonight over UMass, and a personal win for Chris Harris. And that happened on like on a Saturday night, and Monday afternoon we were in the office, and our compliance guy came up and told me. Chris tested positive. Hey, Chris, go back to August 1st, 2008, when you hit rock bottom, and what took yeah. place for you to become sober that day? You know, I, it was my fourth overdose. Um, it was late morning. I had been drinking all morning. Um, I could no longer afford street drugs, so uh, vodka, cheap vodka became my my means um, to forget. I often say, you know, I drank vodka to forget, not because I like the taste. Um, and I got a phone call from, from, from a guy that I had dealt with who said if I come down here, he'd give me four bags of heroin. So I jumped in my car, I drove. He threw him through my window and drove away, and shortly after, I was overdosed. I, I had crashed my car, and paramedics brought me back, and and that began the journey towards recovery. Uh, that wasn't the last day I got high, but that was part of it. Um, you know, but I think sometimes, I think we get, I think rock bottom has caused a lot of fatality. I think the word in itself, I think, I think parents, I think people who are sick, I think they wait till it's too late they think there's going to be this bottom one day, this awakening. It doesn't have to get that, that down. It doesn't have to get that deep. It doesn't have to be that low in order to get well. Um, and that's what I try to, to convey to community groups, um, high school kids, professional athletes, you know, that why wait? You know, why wait for this to be found overdose, crashed into a fence? Right. Pretty much every day was rock bottom for a while, wasn't it? I mean, the stuff you lost. Oh, any day you, to be quite, I mean, any day you do something that can possibly end your life, I mean, it's got to be considered a bottom. But along the same lines is, you know, I'm seven years sober and I spoke in front of a million kids over the last five years. And, you know, for me, a bottom, it was a bottom when I had to lie to my mother at 14. You know, I could no longer tell the woman who did everything in the world for me 
I could no longer tell her the truth. I was now, I was now her son, but not the son she believed I was. Yeah, and and the neat thing is though that now you've become you're alive for the first time probably since you were 13 years old. You're authentic. You are Chris Heron, not Chris Heron on something. You're changing lives because you're real now. I mean, I think that's the call for children, for teenagers, is to find their, you know, that authenticity in a sense. Like, they're, they're, find your realness and, and be comfortable with who you are. And you don't have to run away from the insecurities. You know, I often say I think we focus on the last day when it comes to drugs and alcohol. And we don't talk enough about the first day. And, and to, to think that just showing kids pictures of what drugs can do to you is going to stop them is unrealistic. And you've saved literally probably thousands of lives. As we're talking to you this morning, you're driving, getting ready to go talk to probably another high school. But yep. the lives you've saved, it's incredible. You know, it's been quite a journey. And, you know, I'm blessed, you know, to be seven plus years sober um, and doing what I do is, is, uh, is truly rewarding. And uh, I, I truly believe in my heart that if you can inspire somebody to share their struggle, um, that the chances of finding strength in the struggle is, is very real. But one of the main reasons why I do this is because, because I remember what it was like sitting in your seat. I remember what it was like walking into this assembly. This story doesn't pertain to me. I remember what it was like walking in here, sitting in my seat, saying I scored 2,000 points. I'm a McDonald's All-American. I'm ranked ninth in the United States in basketball. I'm being recruited by every school in America. All I do on weekends is drink and smoke. That's where it begins and that's where it will end. I'll never be that guy. So reluctantly, I walked in, sat in the back. I had the nerve to talk while the man talked. I had the nerve to judge his story. But at 18 years old, I truly believed I was above it. Five minutes later, I got down to my drone room. When I opened my drone room door, my roommate and a young freshman girl was sitting at my desk. At 18 years old, I had never seen cocaine. I'm here today to tell you from the bottom of my heart. At 18 years old, I looked at one line of cocaine on my drone room desk at Boston College. And I said to myself, I'll do this drug one time, I'll never do it again. I took the dollar bill, I did the line of cocaine, I got up and I walked right out of my room. I had no idea that that one time would take 14 years to walk away from me. I had no idea I'd be 32 years old with two beautiful children, a wife who was eight months pregnant, before I could finally let go of that dollar bill. I had no idea that that one line of cocaine would get me kicked off Boston College's campus just four months later for three failed drug tests. I had no idea. Well, to me, it's amazing, you know, Chris, with the Heron Project, giving talks and impacting kids. And I know about like the, you know, the Project Purple Initiative. You might talk about how that started and through that talk and what it's led into today. You know, Project Purple through the Heron Project came about because of a little girl's courage who had a purple T-shirt on in an assembly Full school assembly to say she was a she was a kid that's made all the right decisions so far, and didn't feel very confident saying that. And I I found that extremely disappointing that you know a kid who has not used drugs and drank throughout high school 
and has been able to do it the right way. Um, was laughed at and made fun of, mocked. From that day forward, I wanted to create a space, you know, for kids where it's okay being that type of kid. It's okay to go through high school without drinking and doing drugs. And you don't have to give in to peer pressure. My biggest goal was to give kids a voice. It was to inspire kids to stand up for themselves. And last but not least, what's your favorite color? Purple. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. Listen, <laughs> I've, done, I've done interviews with 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace. You girls would not know who he is, but that was tougher than Mike Wallace's interview. <laughs> Those are great questions. Thanks. Yeah, you girls are good. You know, I might have been a McDonald's All-American. I might have been the kid that everyone thought had it all. But the reality was, I knew in my heart that those kids who didn't have to do it in high school had something special that I didn't. You know, since then, it's been remarkable. I mean, we've had close to a half a million kids involved in the program. We've had, you know, TV personalities wearing purple. We've lit up cities around the country, purple skylines. And we've had teams wear purple. And, you know, it's just... It's just to raise awareness. We want to change the way kids look at, you know, their social culture within their school. It seems like you've been able to change the culture in the schools through the initiative and then also through, like, the Heron Project, like, toolkit or what you provide for yep. the schools. And we have. And, and, you know, the toolkit's been created and we offer it to the schools. And, but this has to be driven by the kids. You know, it can't be forced upon them by the administration. Kids have to take this, and, and they have to go with it. Uh, you know, because if it's forced on them, they feel that it's just not a thing that's part of school. They don't own it. And, and we've been successful with that. We really have. I mean, we had two students in Dallas put together quite an event and, and lit up the skyline of Dallas, purple. Um, you know, and, and it was driven by them. The kids deserve a lot of credit, too, as well. When did you start you know, with your kids? Because no one is more important than your kids. When did you right. start talking to them about it? I think 7th and 8th graders can handle it. I think 8th um, graders, without a doubt. You know, with me, when I talk to kids, I, I, want, I want them to understand that although I'm here to talk about drugs and alcohol, I'm also here to talk about self-esteem and self-worth. And, and I think kids understand that. I think they understand that for many it stems from lack of that. You know, and then, and then you get the parents who push back and say, well, it's high school, the kids are going to have fun. My response to that is, I don't want my son or daughter to have to rely on a substance to have fun. If, if your child is 15 years old and needs to get drunk to have fun, something's off. Chris, I love that we haven't even talked basketball. It's been about your journey and these kids and, and your honesty. And, you know, a lot of the interviews, I'm sure you, you get interviewed a lot, man. If you go on YouTube and you look up Chris Heron, there is a million yes, different yes. interviews. And they're all kind of the same. It's like, hey, you know, you were in the rain in your Celtics jersey waiting for drugs because that's right. what sells in the media to get ratings. Do you get tired of answering the same kind of questions over and over again? I do. Um you know, some days are better than others. I used to be embarrassed um, about the lack of 
success I had on a professional level because of my substance use. But today, um, I realize that that hard work and that success I missed out on has given me a voice, um, has allowed me to, to speak and have a platform. A question for me to you is, as a parent of four children, what are you doing today to be able to build the self-esteem of your own children in your own home? I think it's just communication. I think you gotta, you, you have to be aware, alert, and, and open and see where they're at and know what they're facing. You know, I, will, will you find everything out? Probably not. But I don't hesitate to ask. You know, I have a 16-year-old son. <clears throat> I pray he'll be okay. Um, does that mean he might one day wake up and want to experiment or, or, or give in to peer pressure? I know that's a possibility. And the odds are stacked against him because you talk about numbers that, you know, it's 40%, right, of uh, addicted yeah. families, uh, they, they also can be addicted too, right? 40% more likely, absolutely. <clears throat> and, and I'm aware of that, and he's aware of that. And I think as long as we can arm them, educate them with the facts, um, you know, then that's all we really can do. But I think, I think they need to understand that, you know, there's great success in life if you're comfortable with who you are. Mm-hmm. What were you not comfortable with, Chris? What, what was it? What hole were you trying to fill? Every, every person with an addiction is trying to fill some hole. What was it with you? You know, alcoholism was in my family. My dad struggled drinking beers. You know, beer fractured my family, caused my mom and dad to get divorced. Um, pressure from being, you know, a successful basketball player at a young age at times was overwhelming to me. So, so I'd like to, um, I'd like that, that couple of hours where I could forget, you know, I could kind of forget with what I was faced with or what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to, to, uh, to let go of, of the things I was, I was struggling with as a teenager. I think parents are afraid to ask their kids why. I, you know, I do 20 events a year, and, um, and I meet a ton of parents, and one common thing is they want to find out, you know, where their kids are drinking. They want to point fingers at the parents who are allowing it to happen. But nobody wants to sit down with their kid and ask them why they need it. You know, why at 16 years old have you lost the ability to just have fun in the basement as yourself? And when I ask kids that question, most drop their heads because they, they know in their heart that it's not right. They know in their heart that they made a promise to themselves that they would never do it, and now they are. And, and they're lost in a sense in some ways. Did your parents ask you why? No, absolutely not. You know, I think, I think we get caught in, a, it's a cultural thing, and, you know, it's boys will be boys, girls will be girls, kids will be kids, it's high school, it's going to happen. It doesn't have to happen, and nor should it happen. 20 years ago, we, we weren't armed with all the information. You know, we didn't know that, you know, if, if we let our children's brain develop fully, 
and that brain is developed at 21, fully developed. And if we, if we, if we keep them away from alcohol or drugs, the chances of them struggling with addiction drop drastically. You know, the genetic component really wasn't out there. It's different today, and, and yet we still look away from the facts and the science behind it. Do you think, do you think parents, though, Chris, just think that their kids, uh, you know, kind of like blinded to it, they won't do that or they won't go that path? Do you feel like that's what they uh, think? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's, there's plenty of parents that have hit um, unexpectedly with this, uh, you know, that they weren't prepared for it. You know, but it's real. I mean, it's in every community. You know, um, I, I became an addict down in a basement drinking beers and smoking bad marijuana. You know, now it's high-potent marijuana. Now it's prescription medication. Now it's synthetic drugs that kids are faced with. What do you think about, like, in Colorado, that marijuana is now legal, and, and there are, I'm sure that's a recruiting tool. You know, that some kids want to go play in Colorado because they can smoke pot legally. I think it's a shame. I think it's all about money. Mm-hmm. Um I think people are getting wealthy off of it. The first page of every drug addict story is smoking, smoking weed. I mean, I've never met one that jumped right into heroin. I mean, we all start off with the red solo cups and the blunts and the bongs and the pipes. How does a coach help kids, help a Chris Heron not give in to that? How does a parent help Chris Heron not give in to that pressure? Because we all felt that pressure in high school. Right. You know, I just think from an athletic standpoint, you know, I, and I've spoke to half of the NFL teams, um, baseball, Major League Baseball teams, NHL, college football, college basketball. And I often say, I think we push our kids athletically. We push them academically, but we fail socially. Like we want them to practice to get better in the classroom and on the field, on the court, but yet we don't push them socially, and we've lost that. We allow our children to dictate how they will be socially and make their own decisions, but we don't let them make their own decisions academically, and we don't let them make their own decisions athletically. We're involved in that process, but we don't practice socially, and I think that's the missing component amongst our, the youth today, that with all their faith, the pressures, the social pressures, social media, we we don't give them enough tools. We don't arm them enough with the facts. And we don't inspire them enough to be better at themselves. You know, we have them captive for 13 years, yet we choose calculus, geometry, algebra, that that's more important. Than health. They than make health. them take like and one semester of health or, you know, it's not. You think that ought yeah. to be full time, right? You, you would think it would be part of the curriculum from day one because if we have a healthier child, we have a better student. If we have a healthier child, we have a better athlete. Mm-hmm. But, but yet we, we, we decide to overload them with all this information when they're 15 years old in a health class that lasts half the year. You know, it's like, what, what are we doing? We expect our children to be totally prepared you know, because they learned about sex, drugs, bullying, texting in a half a semester when they're 15. Right. And I mean, come on. I mean, I've had kids in assemblies talk about, 
suicide, depression, bullying, and they talk about it because it's the first time they feel that they have an opportunity that they can disclose it. You know, I think kids should be able to walk into a class and, and be comfortable discussing these topics amongst their peers at a young age. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, they do wonderful things for kids. And I'm so proud that they're good human beings and they're, they're like LeBron putting kids through college up in, in Cleveland. That's amazing. But you have literally saved lives. You've had kids text you, hey, I'm in the bleachers. I just heard your talk. I have a suicide note in my pocket. Do you understand um, the impact that you've had? I can honestly say it's, um, it's extremely humbling. I give the kids who disclose uh, so much, so much uh, praise um, because at that age, I, I, I wasn't tough enough to talk. You know, I, I didn't feel good enough to disclose. And for, for a kid to email me and tell me that um, or stand up in an assembly is, is powerful. And, and they're the ones who inspire me to keep doing it. It's something that I'm blessed to be a part of. Honestly, I, I started this speaking five years ago, and never in a million years would I ever think that I'd be still doing it. Um, I figured I'd give back to my local community, jump in a car and drive and talk to high schools. Um, never in a million years would I think that I'd be telling the story in front of a million kids, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, you know, Chip Kelly, Aaron Rodgers, L.A. King, Boston Red Sox, Kansas City Royals. I would never think that I'd be there, but, but it resonates with all. I mean, we all, at some level... Um, understand it or have lack of understanding. And if I can reach both, then it's a win. You know, you're never really cured. Um, there's always opportunities you can have a relapse. And, and everybody yep. struggles, whether it's, it could be addiction to alcohol, drugs, it could be to pornography, it could be to food. Everybody has t- some type of addiction. What do you do on a daily basis? What are some of the rituals you do to make sure you don't have that relapse? Pray. <laughs> There's never a day I don't pray. There's never a night I don't thank God for keeping me sober. I'm close to recovery. I hang out with people in recovery. I don't allow myself to get comfortable. Um, yes. When I listen and I watch about your life, it's been ordained by God. Because there's been times where you're smuggling drugs in Turkey and could have been in prison for your life. You got in a car accident, was dead for 30, 30 seconds, going out to commit suicide. I mean, I look at those things, and I'm like, there is a reason why you're here today and doing what you do. Absolutely. And, and trust me, I, there's not a day I don't, I don't give thanks for it. Um, you know, and, and I'm surrounded by people who make me better. You know, if it wasn't for others' kindness and their empathy and their willingness to give, I wouldn't be here. So... The least I can do is give back. Hey, but by the way, I got to tell you this. The biggest thanks I think you need to give is living with the living saint, your wife, Heather. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, you know, 17 years, I've known her since the seventh grade. It's, it's, it's remarkable, and, and, uh, and I'm blessed. You know, without her, I am not a dad. I, will not, I, will, I wouldn't be able to watch my kids blow up. You know, she stuck in when everybody told her to go. See, when I was found on the side of the road, 
my wife was eight months pregnant expecting our third child. I looked at my counselor and I said, can I go home? He said, bad idea. I said, sir, please. At 22, I was on Oxycontin for little Chris. At 24, I was on heroin for Sam. Please let me see one of my children come into this world sober. That man gave me a chance. He called me a taxi and four hours later, I witnessed my son Drew come into this world. I sat with that little baby sober and proud for about eight hours. And when that eight hours ended, I told my wife, I'll be right back. I'm going for a walk. I never came back. I walked right out of that hospital, walked up to a liquor store, bought two pints of vodka, jumped on the phone, called my heroin dealer. He picked me up and I was gone. 30 days earlier, I was found dead on the side of the road. 30 days later, I'm back on the same streets. When I walked into that hospital the next morning, my wife took one look at me. She shook her head and she said, don't ever come back. See, I met my wife in the seventh grade. She knew me long before heroin and hoop. My wife said, you broke my heart a million times, but this is the last time I let you do it to my children. I'm betting if you lost them, that you'd be dead right now. Yeah. I mean, that, I, if, if, if I was betting, I would too. You know, recovery, uh, there's miracles in it. And, and I thank God for the miracle. I mean, I, second chance, third chance, fourth chance. I mean, if anybody out there is sick, has been suffering, you know, I believe they're all worth a chance. Hey, Chris, where do individuals out there be able to follow you, get your information, to maybe have you come in and speak to, you know, the organization? What do they do? You know, um, yeah, I have the website Hoop Dreams, hoopdream.com, um, where we book our speaking engagements. Um, you know, the Heron Project is, is um, more along uh, for families who need assistance with treatment, the navigation of um, finding the best place to go. Um, we have an amazing team who, who intervenes and helps that process. So the HeronProject.org, HoopChain.com, um, you know, we're, we're pretty active on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, I, I believe that if people need to find us, they will, and, and we'll be there to help. Your wife says that Chris is able to give what he wasn't given. That is why it's so fulfilling to him. What are you giving today to the players you work with that you weren't getting when you were growing up? I, I just go at it from a different perspective, I, I believe. I think you have a better player if you have a happy player. I think, you know, if, if a kid walks into the gym with his chin up, and walks out of the gym with his chin up, they'll come back. They're all the best, man. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're fifth grade and you can't put the ball in. It doesn't matter if you're an All-American. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a game. And, and you want them to enjoy it. And if you can make a kid who can't make a shot enjoy it, then you, you've succeeded. You want to prepare them to be successful when there's no more hoops to shoot on. That doesn't mean you can't be hard on them now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, when I was coaching kids, you know, if I, if I, if I thought it was necessary, I'd put them on the line and make them run sprints. You know, it's not, all, it's not all soft and cushy, but, you know, I make sure that they know that it comes from a good place and, and you know, that there's a reason um, for it. But, again... I think a happy athlete is a better athlete. 
every team's got a Chris Aaron. You know, there, there's going to be, because it's so hard today and there's so much pressure. Every team's going to have a kid that's going to make bad choices. As a teammate, did teammates check you? Teammates checked me, yeah. Some did, some didn't. Um, How did you react to it? Where Did you nod your head and inside you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to go do my thing? Or You know, I mean, it, it wasn't something that I was willing to really look at. So you could check me, but I really wasn't willing to look at it. But I think there's ways to check. Like, people would say, like, Chris, you're so good, you're going to lose everything. Or, Chris, like, you know, you failed another drug test. If you do fail another one, you're going to be suspended for three games. Scouts are going to know, and, and you're going to lose stock. And nobody asked me why I was willing to lose it. You know, nobody really wants to sit down and say, hey, man. What's at the root like, of this? What's going on that you're willing to take, take a chance on all of this? Right. And that's the same thing you know, that you wish your parents would ask you why. And, you know, so, yeah. Why is powerful, man? Why is emotion? Mm-hmm. And why is the reason? And we have to figure out why. And because if we get that answer, we can work with it. And that's why I tell kids all the time, it's, it's okay, to, it's okay to, to share with what you struggle with. We can build off that and we can go forward. So. We're going to let you go because uh, we went over the time. Don't tell your PR person. Because, uh, <laughs> He's on the side of me right now. Oh, yeah, my God. But, but I got to say this so before we let him go. <laughs> hey, any, any, any administrators, people out there with schools, organizations, of what I've read through, I went through your websites, you know, just listening to just presentations of you, I would bring you in in a heartbeat. I mean, your story's amazing. The impact you can have on kids' lives, what you're doing to kind of you know change the culture awesome. regards to alcohol and drugs and and being cool not to drink being cool not to do drugs being cool being yourself being who you are i appreciate that you know i mean when i started this you know obviously the 30 for 30 you know really put me out there when i started i would walk into high schools and tell my story and, and i realized my story wasn't enough and i had to get better and it's no different than when I would be in my driveway trying to figure out ways to get a shot off or to hit a shot. Um, I've wanted to be better at what I do, and, and I've adapted, and I've, I realized my story is what kids expect. What they don't expect is to walk out of that auditorium thinking about their story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the power in it, is that you get these kids walking in thinking one thing and walking out asking themselves if they are as good as they should be. Chris, you've accomplished a lot more as a basket or as a human being than as a basketball yeah. player, and that's that's amazing. And I, I hope you tell your PR person you had a great time with us because <laughs> yeah, no doubt. we really were moved. You man. guys were you guys were great. You didn't play games, man. You guys were armed with the facts, the stats, and ready to roll. And and we hope you'll come back another time, and we'll talk basketball another time, man. This we want yeah. to get to what was you and what is important, and we appreciate you. We love you. We give you prayers, and we'll talk to you again sometime. No doubt. God bless, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Take care, Matt. God bless you. Well, an interesting podcast today, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can email Jimmy at the Jim Huber Show at gmail.com. You can Twitter Jimmy at at the Jim Huber Show. And we've been asking you to leave reviews as you subscribe on iTunes. Got some good reviews in. Got uh, this is from Northern Gopher. That might be a Minnesotan up there. Think so. Says, I'm a Jim Huber follower from watching his camps and learning his defensive methods. Uh, the show's great, not only for coaches, but for young players, too. Keep up the great work. Jim, have a great day. You going home to wax your head, or <laughs> what are you doing today? 
You think that's funny? Listen, man. It's not a hair that makes the man. I'm a beautiful man. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> we got Don Kelbick coming up, attacking counter guru. We got the, uh, the Zellers coming up to talk about the uh, Zeller boys raising them. Three NBA players, yeah. right? They got mm -hmm. three of them and in the league. High character kids. So lots of great, uh, hopefully, content coming up, and we will see you next time here on the Jim Huber Show.